0: hello and welcome to the let's talk transformation podcasts this is susie lewis your host speaking from toulouse in this episode of let's talk transformation we will be tackling the topic of change in organizations and its place in the hybrid environment i am pleased to welcome julie hodge a leading expert in organizational change and a professional organizational change at Durham University Business School. Julie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Susie. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. It's great to have you. Julie, you have worked extensively at a strategic level in academia and in the global business world in the field of organizational change and transformation, and particularly in the area of the impact of change on people. This is where we met on these topics of creating sustainable change, but also on getting commitment and ownership to that change within the organization. You have written various books on this subject, as well as your latest book, Reshaping HR, The Role of HR in Organisational Change, which is an area which we could discuss for hours, but I'm sure we'll touch on it. I would like very much to concentrate first on your book, Managing and Leading People Through Organisational Change. Um, The second edition of that book has just come out, where you state in the introduction, which is so topical for me, at the beginning of the 21st century, Ray Kurzweil predicted that 20,000 years of progress would be crammed into the next 100 years. So this in itself for me is serious speed, but that was before COVID. So I would love to start with that topic around how have you seen organisations reacting to what is essentially an unprecedented wave of change?
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Susie. And yes, it's a really good quote. And I think actually, if anything, that change has speeded up with the impact of of COVID. Mm. Um, Certainly what we have seen is that when when COVID hit, organisations had to react very quickly because it was emergent change. It wasn't change that was planned. It wasn't change that was intended. Mm. It hit organisations without any warning. And and as a result, overnight, organisations had to shift there are working models to something very different. You know, people had to move to working at home. Mm. Uh, And and that happened in a very short space of time. And I I think over the last um, 15, 18 months, we've continued to see change accelerate. We're at at a stage now where there's a bit of a, a plateau about what happens next. So what will be the operating models that businesses will follow what what Mm. will happen with regard to you know flexible working or hybrid working for example and it's a bit of a breathing space now for organizations to start to think about okay how how do we deal with all of this change how do we deal with the next step as a result of the impact of covid
0: Mm. and I think that's I think you're right it's everybody's question isn't it in terms of organizational change but it's emergent change which is always a little bit less certain and therefore more daunting uh, than just a change plan that you've already drawn up. But, and clearly it's about people as, as ever. Do you see human change, if I can put it like that, happening any faster after COVID? What trends are you seeing around that?
1: Uh, Yes. My view of change is that it's what makes change successful is not just having the processes in place, but it's actually engaging people with change wherever feasible to do so because change happens through people
0: yeah
1: and I and I think that you know any for any change to be successful it has to look at how do we include people not just in the implementation but in the actual decisions Hmm. At the moment we're hearing organizations you know debating about hybrid working will they go back to the office won't they What's needed is actually for employees to be much more involved in these discussions as well. And and to get the chance to sort of step back and think about, you know, what have we learned over Mm. the last year or so? What's worked well in terms of the working models that we've we've had? What's not worked so well? And therefore, Mm. what is it that we want to move forward with? And what other ideas do people have as well? about mm. how they, they should be working too. And some of these ideas will be feasible from a business perspective and can be taken forward. Some of them may be longer term and have to be put aside for a while. And some of them might not be feasible feasible because of things like resources and finance, et cetera. Mm. But I think it's about giving people, the, creating that space where people can start to have the dialogues about what will work for them in terms yeah. of the working models.
0: Yeah. And I think that for me is the mainstay of inclusion An inclusive environment is about asking people how they experience things, what works and what doesn't. And I, I know I interacted with a lot of leaders during COVID around whether they felt their organisations would actually take on board the lessons learned from, from the pandemic and only 30% of them were confident that their less their organizations would take on board the lessons learned from covid but i think the thinking around hybrid workplaces and more distributed ways of working is going to force the issue and you know, if if I look at your book, the four different parts in your book, sort of understanding organisational change, the individual responses to change, the roles of leaders and managers and, and the part four of building capacities. I mean, I think this is, we're at the understanding stage, aren't we? But it's interesting that next you go to individual. So, you know, I'm sure all our listeners have a memory of a change project that seemed overwhelming and ominous or where you're just not sure how you feel about it in fact it's very likely that your feelings are changing day in day out one day it's cool the next day it's scary so you know what is your take on the individual aspects of change why is it so important to start with individual aspects if we want to affect collective change which is what in effect organizational change is
1: yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, I think the thing is that every individual will experience and transition through change in in a different way, in a unique way. Mm. And I'd all, I'd add to that not just individual but teams, because I think it, it, there's got to be a focus on on, on teams as we move through yes. change as well. Nothing yeah. in something that has been often neglected, in fact, and. and mm teams are the same teams will experience change in different ways and the individuals and the teams themselves will will respond in different ways and often we look at things like resistance to change as being something that is awful and you know (laughs) it's something that shouldn't be happening but actually resistance to change is it's a natural occurrence yeah it's how people will react when they don't have enough information or mm. they haven't been involved in decisions. Mm. And resist. I often see resistance as an opportunity. Again, it's that opportunity to be able to to listen to the concerns. People resist for a reason, and it's getting yeah. to that root cause that makes people resist or oppose change. And to listen to these concerns that they raise, and then to identify areas for improvement,
0: mm.
1: because change does. You know, you're going back to your question. Change generates a it, it heightens sensitivity among employees. Mm. Things like fairness. You yeah. know, is it fair? How is it going to impact on our job? And justice of how people are being treated as well. Mm. So it's mm. about fairness and the justice. And it's about how is that dealt with then? It's about are there processes that can be employed that will help managers to just create space to listen more and to really actively listen. And I think that's what's really important. It's about actively listening to people.
0: Mm. And I love the part about the teams because I hadn't thought about it like that, although clearly I always think about teams, but the whole team of teams discussion of that's how you break an organisation down and are the teams actually being listened to by other teams? Because I think active listening, empathy, those types of skills don't necessarily come naturally or easily. And unless we explicitly develop them, then, as you say, we remain in a space where people have their assumptions and, and their reticence and, and we don't deal with it. I mean, everyone always says change is difficult. I think if you turn that around, it it's challenging. And I think, but it can be challenging it can be challenging opportunities if that's the way you decide to manage it. And this this brings me to the idea of building capacities, which is one of the biggest learnings for me in my career of managing change and clearly managing people, is around you know the need to constantly build capacity and skills in an organization for change. Can you give us your opinion on why we need to do that and particularly how we can do that to create sustainable change in an organization?
1: Yes. So change is usually something we all do on top of our daily job, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Yes, clearly.
1: (laughs) Although change is becoming continuous, and I think that's the other shift in organisations, that change is becoming much more continuous and much more emergent rather than necessarily planned. So to make that happen, it requires the capacity. People need the space in their jobs, to be able to address, to plan, to implement change effectively. But on top of that, it's not just the capacity that they need, it's also the capabilities as well. And, And these capabilities are individual, collective, team, knowledge, skills and attitudes too that really are important. Being able to build these capabilities is about Also, it enables maximising the contribution of people for the benefit of the organisation. So the more Mm. people feel they can effectively cope with change and that they have the skills and knowledge to do it effectively, the more likely they will be able to engage with change and therefore ultimately the change will be sustained.
0: Because like you say, often today, it's sort of something that is bolted on to a project um, as something on top of a day job or if we have enough budget we'll maybe resource it a little bit but the fact that it's now continuous and emergent and people need to deal with it on a daily business as part of their daily job I mean that that's a big ask isn't it in terms of building capability within an organization in terms of one skill strategy and two the time and space as you rightly said for people to equip themselves
1: absolutely And and I think it's going to be a must for organisations. I mean, there's research coming out at the moment that says you know, one of the key capabilities that are needed for leading and managing in organizations is the ability to lead and manage change. And and a lot of the work and a lot of the way we often look at change is we look at it being done by the leaders and the managers, but actually it impacts on frontline staff as well. So it's about looking at what are these frontline staff need? How can we ensure that we, you know, give them time to to learn and reflect and build on the skills that they they need as well. So it is about creating, despite the fact that we're all living in this time of uncertainty Mm -hmm. and complexity as as, as well with regard to to what change is happening, it is about creating the space to make sure that people have the the skills and the knowledge to be able to effectively engage with with change. And Mm -hmm. that's about learning and reflecting as well. You know, learning is, is, is a fundamental part of any change process. Mm. And reflecting on learning helps to identify what went wrong, how to fix it, and, and what to do differently
0: to mm. be really important. Yeah, which means that, which would sort of assume that there is a space for that and that there is time to do that and that that dialogue is open because I think it is every every person's responsibility as an individual change agent, but it is the shift that we're seeing across the board from individual to collective therefore in terms of managing change even if you manage it well as an individual there is always this collective piece isn't there around how you actually let me be clear you're never going to make everybody comfortable with everything so that's not what humans are about but you know you there is there is a point where you need to scale the momentum for change and and the impact that it's having so what are you seeing in terms of the way organizations are dealing with that shift from individual to collective whether it's leadership or, or change, or it's across the board now, isn't it? Because it's emergent,
1: exactly. And, and I am seeing there are a lot of organisations struggling because mm. it's having. I think it's having a an impact on the role of leaders and the role of managers. You know, for mm. for several months, people have been working at home without a manager, without a leader looking over their shoulder, so they have a yeah. lot of autonomy. They have yeah. they've been able to, to do the work themselves. So there is this issue now about, you know, how do we lead? How do we manage people if they are working in this this hybrid mm. world? And therefore, how does that impact on, on change itself, too? I, and, and I guess when you're, you know, when people are working remotely and you're thinking about change, then how do you gain the engagement and commitment to change at times when you are at a distance to mm.
0: And I think everybody, if to come back to something we discussed earlier, everybody's grappling with the what model works for us discussion because clearly it's not a one-size-fits-all and everyone has their, um, their own context. But what is the role of organisational culture in this process for you? So we've moved into a hybrid working place. It's more emergent. The people have more autonomy. There's lots of things that have shifted. What do you see happening in terms of organisational culture and what is the role of culture for you?
1: Yeah, well, culture is... Culture is quite a hard thing to (laughs) match, a hard hard thing to to change. I mean, certainly the organizations that have more innovative cultures who are more open to change Mm. are the organizations that are moving faster. So I guess some of the, the startup companies, some of the tech companies tend to be 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 moving much more quickly in terms of embracing um, new technology, embracing different ways of working as well. So culture can have an impact on change and how it's managed in an organisation, whether it's effective
0: or Mm. not.
1: Um, I think culture, though, can also, in some of the traditional, very traditional organisations, can sometimes block uh, change from happening as well. It can happen Mm. much slower, Too, So it can be a a blockage in some organizations, you know, culture, culture, The two schools of thought, you know, the the school of thought that culture can't be changed because it's the deep roots of an organization. And therefore, it's really, really hard to dig these roots up. Mm. On the other hand, there's a school of thought that actually culture can be changed. I, I would say that in terms of changing a culture, it's about changing certain elements of it. You know, you can't change a whole culture, but it's about changing elements. So organizations that are starting to do that are beginning to, to look at how they, you know, they they change their, the way that people communicate, the way yeah. that they are more open to feedback, you know, not mm. just down, but up and across the organization. Mm. They're looking at ways of how they can create space to have some dialogue about change in the organisation as well. So it's about looking at not changing the culture overall, but looking at elements of the culture that can be changed in order to support the ongoing continuous change that is happening in organisations.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it just reminds me of the smallest beautiful saying, because I think, you know, change, particularly at the moment, is so unprecedented that unless we break it into sort of what I call bite-sized chunks that, you know, that that are manageable and people can't deal with the overwhelm of everything they've got to change. And if I look at the innovation cultures, it is very much this iterative approach of, okay, we'll try something, we'll test it. If it doesn't work, we'll go back to the drawing board. I know that's very black and white, but that idea of and cognitively just iterating on what works and, and what doesn't work until you get to something that it, that is workable for you.
1: Indeed it's like the design thinking concept yeah. is that you do a prototype you test it pilot it Um, if it doesn't work you go back to the drawing board and also it's worth remembering that there's never just one change going on at an organization at one time is there there's always no. several changes yeah. going yeah. on at once yeah which is what often makes
0: change complex Absolutely. I think absolutely, and I think the design thinking, by its very essence and the way it's put together and the way it's explained, is a simple way of explaining something quite that can be quite complex. But you know, the fact that you look at, you empathise with the users and you understand their emotions and their needs and their behaviours, and then you define something that might work, then you ideate, then you you prototype, and then you come back if it doesn't work. And I think what you're saying before about complexity—that's what I really liked about your book—is that it has a simplified playbook aspect to it as well. You know, you split things up into key points, activities, questions, case studies, because often what I feel is missing from greater concepts is the simple operationalization, if I may say, of them. And I'm a big believer in learning by doing. And that's why I really like uh, design thinking and agile methodology, where you can actually tangibly test things and see what works and what doesn't. And there are lots of tools and, and skills in your book like the ABC model of emotions or the transition curve or what you call Zood, could you walk us through uh, Zood, for example, to allow our listeners to get a feel for how simple and how helpful these tools can be?
1: Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, gaining engagement and commitment to change at times means that um, it, we have to get into the so-called zone of uncomfortable debate, which <laughs> what Zood is. Yeah. And, and Zood focuses on conversations and, and communication about, it's about the complex or the hard to resolve change issues, whether they involve a team, a department, or an individual. Mm. In fact, and often this is, you know, when when leaders and managers have to do this, it, it's when there may well be heightened emotion. There may be a lot of resistance, opposition to mm. what is going on with the change. And um, I guess rather than backing away from it, entering the zoo does. It's not about seeking confrontation. And it's not about being aggressive. But it's it provides an approach for bringing difficult issues out into the open in a way that's structured and a uh, manner. And really, I mean, in terms of about, ent- you know, I write in the book about how to get into the Zood, and it's about yeah. being able to review the situation and to think about why is the issue that has occurred? Why is it important? What needs to be achieved? It is absolutely about listening, but asking open questions as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to be able to get to the root of the issue too, and mm. about understanding, you know, what what needs to happen, what's nice to happen, what what is negotiable, what's non-negotiable mm. too. Mm. But also in the midst of, of Azud, it's being objective, so dealing with facts, not gossip, not assumptions. It's about being objective rather than, than subjective mm. as well. But also about understanding what triggers emotions, too, that are important. What is it that's pushing the buttons <laughs> of, of both ourselves and, and employees, too? And mm. added on to Zood, there's a great little uh, model that I use that's called Hilltops. Yeah. Part of that is about being able to understand what people see from their hilltops and in organisations, we all see different perspectives depending on the hilltop that mm. we are are standing on. So it's about thinking about okay, you know, where as a manager am I standing? What's the view from my hilltop? But also thinking about okay, where where's where's my team and what mm. is they, they see mm. as well? That's important. And I think it's also with going back to Zood, it's about being authentic. It's about being honest. A lot of what we're hearing now about um, leadership and leadership of change is, is moving away from the classic theory yeah. of transactional, transformational leadership to a much more um, compassionate, um, honest, empathetic approach to, to leadership. And we've certainly seen that develop, I think, yeah. in the last year, definitely.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. And what I really like about Zood and the Hilltops is that it frames it. So you're naming that space or one is naming that space that we we spoke about earlier and taking distance from it enough to take out emotions to objectively understand what's happening and I love the fact that we go back up onto a hill and have a look at different perspectives because that's also what is often missing from scaling change is understanding how others are actually looking at it and and have a different and like you say there are lots of different layers of change going on all the time in organizations so I find that really useful for just framing the understanding of Assumptions change, and also the space you need to create to have to have those discussions, which often doesn't exist in organisations either because the culture is not like that, or because people don't have time.
1: Exactly right, and people may say, "Oh, I haven't got the time to do it," but actually, <laughs> it, it can be done. Uh, it doesn't need to t- take too long, but well, the benefit is that it actually addresses these uncomfortable issues, mm. and if these issues are not addressed or given the opportunity to be discussed then it can call into question the credibility of the change. But it also means that these issues are constantly bubbling underneath the surface, and this Mm. can actually hold back um, the progress of any change as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also, I'm a big believer in democratising access to these type of softer skills across the organisation so that they can be used to equip the organisation on a daily basis going forward, because that's the only way for me of creating deliberate practice around either changing habits or, you know, enabling a different type of transformation. So, yeah, I really like that. So did you expect leaders, therefore, to use your book almost as an agile handbook, which is how I read it. There's sort of a theory part where you learn and then there's sort of this playbook aspect. Was that how you envisaged it playing out?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it, Susie. I think what, what I was envisaging was absolutely showing that, what I was talking about was coming from a point of view of being grounded in research yeah. and grounded in theory. So it had been tested. There was research in it. Mm. but then actually taking that and looking at what are the implications for practice as well. Mm. So therefore, it's about, you know, this isn't just another sort of 10 lists of the good things to do with regard to change, but actually It is solidly based on research studies that have happened not just in the UK but have happened across across the globe as well. So I certainly see it as something that can be used in different cultures as well. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, massively, and it allows you. It gives you the safety to practice. So you know, you've got the you've got the research, you've got the theory, then you've got the understanding and the case studies and. That's what I like the most about it was that, you know, it it can be used. And I have used some of those concepts as what I call a a playbook, you know, so you can play around with them and try them out and and see how they work. So leading and managing change. And we've talked about the change in context and and skills also leads to a very different role for HR. Now, we we could do a whole other podcast on this, but I I didn't want to finish the podcast without touching on uh, the role of HR. And in your new book, Reshaping HR, you look at the, diff- the context, so the global landscape, you know, the proactive role that HR can play, what's changing between what was and, and what's evolving, and the capabilities, again, uh, that HR needs to develop for what's next. Could you take us through how you see HR's role changing?
1: Yeah, indeed. I, th- I think that in terms of... You know, the importance of HR and its contribution to organisational success has long been questioned, which was yeah. partly what got me into this book in the first place. Mm. And, and one of the key challenges that runs throughout HR and that I've focused on in the book is how can HR fully engage throughout the organisational change mm. process, uh, particularly as we're seeing, you know, the, the changes that are happening in the external in, environment, not yeah. not just the impact of the pandemic but technology demographic Mm. changes global climate change etc and it's about actually reframing HR (laughs) and looking at you know, the, really in terms of the proposition for HR to reorientate itself mm. to, to being not um, transactional based, but being much more transformational. Yeah, And I think what I look at in the book is, is about how can HR shift to be much more transformational? So rather than, you know, always getting involved in change once change has been decided and yeah. HR tends to pick up yeah. on the implementation, yeah. how can it be much more transformational? how can they, with the rapidity of change, how can they become much more relevant as mm. well? I, I do think that you know, it's a really good opportunity now for HR to, to become more, more relevant. And it had to do that. Again, HR had to change very quickly in terms of the support that yeah. it was providing to employees when they moved to home working yeah. um, or they were furloughed or whatever was the impact of the mm. pandemic on that it's also about how can hr be how can they be a value creator which is yeah. the that i use how can they create value within organizations and also move to being much more stakeholder focused and not just internal stakeholders but external stakeholders whether that's customers partners the community etc now, now some might say hr have been doing this for a while and the book is based on a global research survey that i did study that i did and there are some organizations that were able to say yes hr is is becoming more transactional but the majority said no there's there's no way they are there yet and the book outlines you know why that is in fact Mm -hmm. and what needs to be put in place for that to happen um, and how hr can grasp the opportunities for making a strategic and a value added contribution to organizations Mm -hmm. And to do this, HR, they need to understand the forces for change and how they're yeah. impacting on the organisations across the globe and affecting the nature of work and the workforce, and actually what this means for the role that HR can play as well.
0: And it's it's quite a big shift, really, isn't it? From I mean, if we come back to you know, change is always done on top of your job, etc. If I go back into those terms, H culture change and leadership is often seen as a HR issue. You know, and, and now it's not. It's spread out across, across the organization as leadership changes and as organizations become more distributed. And I think the role of the, the potential for the role of HR to be strategic and create value differently is huge. And it's very interesting to see the trends coming from your, your book around how they can make that shift from transactional to transformational. What, what, in your view, remains the biggest challenge there for HR in leading effective organizational change?
1: The biggest challenge is creating the space and actually moving from their historical personnel approach of, of being very transactional mm. and doing things for managers and moving to much more a facilitative role. I think that's important. Um, so it's, it's moving forward, you know, deep specialization in specific areas such as benefits, employer relations, compensation. It's about them. They're still there. But they'll be less important than the ability for HR to work horizontally across functions. And this means that they HR are engaging with the organization, they're engaging with organizational members, with other multiple stakeholders as well. So HR will need to they'll need to be flexible about yeah. this. They will need to think about stakeholders differently. They'll mm-hmm. have to develop new. Capabilities. I mean, one of the big things that came out in the book was the need for HR to be digitally yes.
0: fluent. Yes. Yeah. And
1: mm. also to build skills such as various skills such as diagnostic skills, system thinking, design thinking, yeah. and creative agility yeah. as well. So I, th- I think that's the biggest thing. The, certainly the research showed that, you know, we we talked to HR managers and we talked to non-HR managers Mm. and there was a big support from both sides about absolutely the need for a reshaping of hr and and some of that research was done as the as you know in the early stages of the pandemic as well
0: and i think systems thinking is, is a big one isn't it in terms of holistic think we're back to zood and the hilltops you know constantly taking different perspectives and looking at, at the whole landscape i think that's For leadership, that's a big ask because organizations remain quite siloed, although we'll see what happens with more distributed ways of working. I think the capability for HR to understand the data side of it, so what's going on in people analytics, and then putting it back into the systems in a holistic way is quite a big transition for them, but also for the leaders they're serving as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And data analytics and visualization came through as key capabilities. that are critical. Mm -hmm. To shaping and intelligently managing the workforce of the future. Mm. And certainly we found the HR still in the early stages of experimenting with data technologies and integrating them into practice. Yeah. And there's definitely a need to effectively engage much more in data analytics mm. within the HR function too. And that will require different capabilities.
0: Yeah, again. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, to be able to use and manipulate complex data to provide compelling evidence and critical business insights that'll help to form the basis of new workforce strategies and solutions.
0: Yeah, yeah. and and data-driven means very different ways of working in terms of decision-making as well. So from a leadership perspective, I think I think, I think that's a big one that all organisations need to, to get to grips with. Mm, definitely. So time is running. Um, I just want to ask you, what would be your call to action, therefore, or your recommendation for organizations looking to create effective but also sustainable change in their organizations?
1: Yeah, it's quite, it's quite simple and straightforward. <laughs> don't just focus on the process of change, but focus on the people element of change. The people element is often seen as the hardest part, but actually it's the most effective part when it comes to comes to change so it is about having a balance between process and people and, and together that will certainly help when it comes to looking at and um, implementing and sustaining change effectively
0: okay excellent thank you I'm going to leave our listeners without the balance between process and people Julie thank you so much for coming and sharing your research your insights and your experience where can people find out more about you and what you do and your research
1: yeah I mean I have a LinkedIn site so please do join me on LinkedIn and uh, there I've got details about the books that I've I've written as well but yeah best thing is is contact me on LinkedIn
0: okay super thank you very much and I'm going to leave our listeners with the understanding of Zood the zone of uncomfortable debate and the multi-perspectives around hilltops okay thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode and the learning it gave you please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and your feedback And it's bye for me from now, and I'll see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.